This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc hello everyone and welcome to slash film daily for tuesday april 18th 2023 on today's episode of the show we are going to be gathering around the virtual water cooler and talking about what we've been up to my name is ben pearson i'm an editor at slashfilm.com and i'm joined on today's episode by slash film editor and chief film critic chris evangelista Hello. All right, Chris. Uh, I'm excited to get into what we've been watching because uh, for as long as I've known you, you've done this thing occasionally, these these blissful rare moments where you, um, or at least your online persona, you grasp onto a movie and uh, and make it, you know, this really fun thing where you just like go all in. I remember you doing this with Brahms the Boy 2 famously, or famously in my mind anyway. Uh, and recently you've done this with The Pope's Exorcist, which is the new... Russell Crowe exorcism movie. Uh, And you finally had a chance to see this. uh, I I guess, what was it last, today's Monday, or today's Tuesday. So this was last week, I guess you saw this movie. Um, So my question for you, like right off the bat, Chris, is was this movie worthy of being one of those rare, you know, once every couple years, I'm going all in on this as a bit kind of thing? You know, it's, I feel like I always have fun with this approach. So even if the movie itself uh, is, is not worthy of my, my uh much sought after attention uh it's it's okay like you know brahms the boy too not a good movie but i had i had fun uh, talking about it and the same thing with the pope's exorcist i had fun uh because it's called the pope's exorcist it's just the title alone is like yeah that's funny um so yeah i saw the pope's exorcist on my birthday last week because uh i had to go to a normal screening because we didn't get there weren't actual real screenings of this except in like LA and New York. And mm-hmm. those were literally like the same day. So I was like, I'm not driving to New York if I can just go to a regular theater. And see it. 
So uh, I was literally the only one in the theater when wow, I wow for the whole Thursday. movie. Yeah, it was it was an early it was a it was a four o'clock show on a Thursday. So not everyone. It's not like it was like a real weekend, but still, no one was there except me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's the Pope's Exorcist is not a good movie, but it was. Uh, I did not. I wasn't bored watching it. It was fine. Uh, Russell Crowe is really having a lot of fun as the titular Pope's exorcist. And he's doing a, you know, like a super Mario brothers accent and he's fighting demons. And uh, so I would say it's probably worth watching on like streaming whenever it shows up there, but don't go out of your way to see the Pope's exorcist. You're you're, you, you, there's much better things you can do. (laughs) So I read your review of this, Chris, and, and you mentioned that like every exorcism movie is like in the shadow of the exorcist the movie from the 70s. And I'm just curious, like if you have favorites in the, I guess you would call it an exorcism genre um, that are not that movie, that are not that sort of, um, you know, totemic example that everything is based against. So there are there like uh, good examples of movies that that sort of um, tackled that kind of subject matter either in a different way than the exorcist did or in a way that um, is, is similar, but still manages to like stand on its own or is like everything literally uh, in the shadow of that one movie. You know, it's, there are, there are exceptions. Um, I really like exorcist three actually, which I think is a great way to keep that, to take that story and do something different with it. That movie very much is not like a, a standard sequel. Uh and there, every once in a while, there's there's a movie that, that sort of breaks out of the mold. Um, I thought um, the Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is a Scott Derrickson movie before he became a you know a Marvel filmmaker, uh, that's that's a, a a pretty good movie because it's it tries again to do something different. The problem is the Exorcist is so iconic and so influential that everyone just rips it off. They don't, and it's 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 lazy. It's it's the same thing over and over again. It's like a kid who's cursing and it's like, all right, this isn't scary. Like it was, it was scary for the exorcist because it was so, uh, at the time it came out, it wasn't normal for this to see this child cursing like a sailor, but in the movies. But I feel like at this point, there's nothing scary about that. You, the minute you have your, your kid character cursing, everyone in the theater is going to laugh. It's like, yeah, it's lost its novelty. Yeah. It's, it's not exciting anymore. So, the the way to make this work is you have to try new things. You have to, you know, you have to not just be like, we're just doing the exorcist again. So it's, it's a, it's rare, but it happens every once in a while. So the last question I have is, do you think that this, I guess this movie performed better than I think some people were expecting at the box office this past weekend. It's not like it, it made, you know, a ton of money, but um, for its budget and all of that, I, I think you could call this a successful opening weekend for it. So would you want to see Russell Crowe come back? I, I feel like I've, I listened to interviews with him recently where he was talking about like, yeah, maybe this could be, you know, uh, uh, the start of a franchise kind of thing, because I guess the real guy that he's playing here, this, this sort of supposedly based on a true story type of thing, this happened, you know, 50 times or something like that, where this this uh, exorcist character um, interacted with, um, you know, supernatural things or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I mean, look, if Russell Crowe wants to come back and do the the Pope's Exorcist 2, I can't think of a title. <laughs> if he wants to come back and do that, I will watch it. Uh, yeah, Like you said, this guy was a real guy, although obviously the movie is is heavily fictionalized. Like, none of this happened. <laughs> 
so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'll if he if look if we can get the boy the Brahms. Brahms the boy too. We can get the, the Pope's exorcist too. Why not? <laughs> Brahms the Pope too. Let's yes. do it. All right. Um, so the Pope's exorcist, I believe, beat out Renfield in its opening weekend. And you had the chance to see Renfield as well. What did you make of this one? Boy, what a bad movie this ah, is. Uh, I was really bum- bummed to hear you say that, of course, because I remember when the trailer first came out and you were kind of like, I don't know about this, guys. This yeah. looks pretty iffy. And I was really hoping that it would be like a pleasant surprise for you and you would walk away being like, that was better than I thought. But no. Yeah. I mean, look, Nick Cage is is a very fun Dracula. He's clearly having fun. But everything else is just a, a complete bust. The, the, the jokes aren't funny. There's this entire subplot about like gangsters that it's like, why is this in the movie? Like, why? Like, you would think the movie would be about Renfield breaking away from Dracula, but instead it's all about, like, he gets mixed up in, like, a mob war and there are corrupt cops. And it's like, why is any of this happening? <laughs> like, it's, this is so stupid. Like, Dracula is, like, barely in the movie. Uh-huh. So he's just, like, hanging out in the background. And, he, like, at the end he, he shows up, but... It's not, you know, if you're if you're going to see this for Nick Cage, you know, get ready. He's not in it a lot. You know, he's he's fun when he's on screen. Uh, but other than that, <laughs> it's this was a, a disappointing movie. It, I didn't think it was very good at all. OK, so Brahms the Renfield 2, yay or nay? No, absolutely not. <laughs> there will be no there will be no Renfield 2. Yeah, I think I think the uh, I want to say this cost like sixty five million dollars or something like that, and and did not uh, outperform the Pope's Exorcist in its opening weekend. So yeah, definitely, it's kind of embarrassing. I, I I feel annoyed because it like Nick Cage's Dracula is such a good idea, and I really hope he gets to play that character again in like a better movie. Because well, otherwise, what a waste to waste an actor of his caliber on such a cool role in such a lousy movie. Yeah, I, I really like, uh, I'm a big fan of Ben Schwartz. Um, and I yeah. think he's part of that gangster subplot that you mentioned. I have not seen Renfield yet. You are uh, correct. What do you make of Ben Schwartz in this movie? Was he like, uh, did he stick out like a sore thumb because that whole subplot is so strange? Or did you feel like he sort of acquitted himself well with the, the material he was given or what? No, I mean, he's definitely the most interesting part of that gangster subplot. He's, he's funny in the movie, but he's just doing... He's doing his usual shtick. So if you don't find that funny, you won't like it. But I found it pretty funny. He, he was like the one funny spot of that subplot. So, but even he's not in it that much. So it's like they waste all this time. And at the same time, it also feels like a bunch of stuff is missing. Like you can tell the movie was longer, but mm. I'd imagine it wouldn't be any better than it is now because I it just feels like there. They just missed the opportunity. I don't know. Ah, bummer. Okay. All right. So that's Renfield. Uh, and then you also had a chance to watch something that uh, that I've never seen before. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I watched Pride and Prejudice, the, the Joe Wright one with uh, Keira Knightley. And uh, the, the reason I watched this is because uh, Matthew McFadden, who is on Succession, is in this as Mr. Darcy. And I really like Matthew McFadden on Succession. And I was like, you know, I've never seen... Pride and Prejudice, and I have it because it got sent to me as part of this like box set I received once. So why don't I watch it? And it is a delightful, charming, romantic, swooning movie. I really liked it. Uh, Joe Wright is very good at, at this sort of thing. Uh, so uh, it's it's just a, a, a char. You know, I've never read the book, so I don't have a connection to it. 
you know, I, I knew the story just from, you know, osmosis, cultural osmosis, but, uh, so I have like no actual connection to this, but I thought the movie was, was pretty wonderful. And Matthew McFadden is, is wonderful in the movie. And it's such a different character than what he plays on succession. That guy's got serious range because he's so different on succession than he is in this movie. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think halfway through the uh, season two of succession right now and loving it so far. My wife and I were talking about it last night. It just seems like there's no bad episodes or not yet. Anyway, it just feels like a, a consistent level of quality all the way across the board. So um, I don't, I like I'm all caught up. And I don't think there has ever been a bad episode of that show. It's like a minor miracle. I don't know how they pull that <laughs> off. Because, Amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I saw, I saw a screenshot of Matthew McFadden. Um, I think it was this morning as Mr. Darcy. I, I don't remember in what context I saw that, but I was like, Oh my God. Like I just hadn't seen, you know, I, I was aware of this movie when it came out in what was it? 2009 or so. Um, yeah, around there. and, uh, I just never got around to seeing it. And then, um, it, you know, that actor has seared himself in my brain as Tom from succession, you know, so, um, in such a major way that right now that it's like, it's, uh, it was shocking to even see a still, let alone the, the entire movie of like him and this sort of, um, I don't know what you would call it. Like a, I don't know if lovelorn is, is, uh, yeah, that's, an, that's <laughs> like a lovelorn character in this like Victorian era or whatever. This that romantic is. So, guy. Um, yeah. I, I would recommend watching this just to see how much range he has. Uh, he can be so, he can be such a funny, uh, for lack of a better word, scumbag on, <laughs> on Succession, and he can just be this swooning romantic uh, hero in this other movie. And it's just, and it's not like, oh, you know, it's not like he's he's better at one or the other. He's he's great at both, and that's very impressive. Yeah, that's great. I I also missed um, Joe Wright's Atonement from I think that was a couple years earlier, like 2007. So maybe I'll do a, a double feature when I'm done watching Succession. Just dive in and uh, check a couple rights off my <laughs> off my list. But yeah. um, okay, right stuff. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, let's take a, a very quick break and then we'll be right back. All right, uh, Chris, I had a chance to see Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. Did you talk about this on the podcast already? I don't no, remember. I haven't seen this. I want to see it, but I have. I never. I'm probably just, at this point. I'm just going to wait for Blu-ray because I don't think it's. I think it's like barely playing anymore. Okay, yeah. Um, I'll just echo everything very quickly that that Jacob said when he talked to me about it when he saw it at South by Southwest, which is like the the main takeaway I have from this uh, is that it feels like a real movie, um, which is kind of rare in the big blockbuster space for a, a story to have a beginning, middle, and end and just feel like a complete thing while also being you know, based on IP and like potentially a franchise starter and all that stuff. I, the, the biggest thing I can say to this film's credit is that it does not feel like it is you know, it left anything dangling for, you know, to be told in future stories that may or may not happen. It was very concerned with telling its story in in the most like sort of uh, effective way possible. And I really appreciated that, which is like, um, maybe talks about, says a lot about like how, how <laughs> my bar for uh, appreciation has been lowered over the years, but because um, I, I probably shouldn't be praising this movie for just doing like the basic Bare tenet of what a yeah. movie is supposed to be doing. But yeah. Uh, but you know, that, that's the environment we're in and it really felt like a refreshing kind of thing to watch this movie. Um, a, a couple of the jokes really didn't work for me, but for the most part, I really liked the, the humor, the, um, ensemble cast here. I thought Chris Pine was great. Um, Michelle Rodriguez, this is like one of my favorite, uh, obviously Chris, you know that I'm a big Fast and Furious fan. So yeah. I appreciate her, um, her role in those movies, even though she doesn't really 
the character of Letty Rodriguez is not necessarily like, or uh, Letty Ortiz rather is, is not like a, um, you know, memorable it, character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't really give her like a ton to do other than sort of like growl and yell the word Dom a lot and like punch people. Um, <laughs> but she, she actually has like a, she, she plays a barbarian in this movie. So she's sort of like the, the muscle, the, the heavy of the good guys. Um, where she she can you know throw down a little bit and she has a few action scenes here and there of course but um but i thought she actually had like more to do than just that and i was surprised to see that and i think this is actually like one of my favorite performances of hers in in years and i feel like not a lot of people are talking about her coming out of this movie um so i just wanted to give her a quick shout out and then uh yeah i thought that you know for, um john francis daly and jonathan goldstein the the directors um did, did a really good job this is not like a game game night level uh, you know, instant classic kind of thing. I think if people like everybody's been talking about, oh yeah, these are the game night guys making this movie. And you definitely get a sense that this movie is made by people who understand the comedy language and like know what they're doing. And they're very competent filmmakers. Um, game night, I feel like is in sort of a, a class of its own when you compare it to this. But uh, if you set your expectations properly, I think you'll have a lot of fun with honor among thieves. I've never played Dungeons and Dragons myself. Um, I felt like, I understood everything that was set up in the world. There were probably, you know, tons of Easter eggs and nods and little uh, winks to people who know the deep lore of this stuff. But I did not feel that annoying feeling that I, I feel when watching some Marvel things when like the entire thing grinds to a halt. So the camera can kind of like focus in on one thing and like the audience is, you know, jumping up and down and clapping and I have yeah. no idea what's going on. I never once got that feeling in Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. So uh, I look forward to seeing what you think about it chris as somebody who i assume has probably never played dungeons of dragons as well <laughs> yeah yeah i have i i know what it is that's all i do i don't yeah. have like any other connection to it okay so that's still in theaters uh I, I imagine it'll be on paramount plus probably at some point in the next month or so um i also watched for the first time the movie breathless from 1960 have you seen this the the jean-luc godard movie you know it's embarrassing to admit i haven't seen this but i have not seen this i mean yeah i i'm i'm right there with you or i, I was I, I have only seen probably like three or four Godard movies or something. So I'm, I was just scrolling through the uh, Criterion channel and looking for things that I should probably, uh, you know, feel better about myself for watching. And this was one of them. And um, I, I thought this was very enjoyable. It's it's 90 minutes. It's uh, very like... Um, it's very, it's a very cool movie there. You know, we, I think you, on the most recent time that we were talking in this podcast, Chris, you were talking about like the act of smoking on, yeah. on screen and just like how kind of cool that looks. This is, this is very much a movie that is like drenched in that style where there's like a lot of smoking and a lot of like, you know, just people, uh, a lot of like malaise and ennui and, um, you know, people talking about like, what is the point of all of this? And, you know, just like, it's a very French movie in that way. Um, Gene Seberg, I thought was, was, especially terrific in this. Um, Jean-Paul Belmondo plays the the lead guy who's like a a criminal who um, ends up getting in a, an altercation with the cops in the beginning of the movie and then sort of goes on the run and he tries to track down uh, Gene Seberg's character who is his like American girlfriend who's living in Paris and he tries to convince her to uh, come away with him to Italy. And it's basically like the whole movie is, is him just sort of, you know, a few steps ahead of the police and just kind of wandering through the city and uh it's very like um almost like lackadaisical for for somebody who's on the run he's not necessarily like uh taking all of the precautions that you might see somebody take in a modern context but um but yeah a very super like style heavy uh movie and it obviously like very very 
um, acclaimed movie. I think it was maybe has consistently been voted among the best movies ever made and um, certainly like a a very influential type of thing too. So uh, Breathless is streaming on the Criterion Collection if you are the Criterion channel, if you want to check that out. And then um, I'm also curious, Chris, if you've seen this, I'm sure you have. I I watched Todd Browning's Freaks for the first time. This is from 1932. I have have seen this. Okay, so um, I I had heard a lot about this movie. It's it's kind of like a, um, I don't know, this, this curio of like, you know, 1930s cinema of like this, this, this thing that's almost spoken about in like hushed tones to some degree. And uh, I was curious about like what the hell this movie actually was. And I, I watched it this morning and I was really blown away by it. I thought it was incredibly, um, I think the the reputation that I had heard anyway, and this may be different for you being very like entrenched in the horror, in the horror community and horror circles and all that was that this movie is like, um, I don't know, almost like tough to watch or it's like, very extreme and intense and like uh you know that there's um there's monstrous things that you'll see on camera and all this it's almost like a i dare you to watch this type of movie right um that that was the sense that i got going in but i found this movie to be like incredibly warm toward its characters and very um i don't know a humanist almost it's 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 very uh i I was shocked to see how you know this movie is about a uh, a traveling circus, and there are all sorts of characters, uh, you know, sideshow performers and, and people who uh, were born without certain limbs or like um, are conjoined twins and like the typical sort of sideshow performers that you would imagine. And they are, um, th- there are two, uh, I guess, dwarf characters who are, one of them is uh, inherits a bunch of money and falls in love with a trapeze artist who uh, comes into the circus and he is sort of plying her with all of these gifts and and trying to win her heart. And she is just this sort of ruthless character who is like in love with the strong man of the circus and is basically taking full advantage of, uh, of this character who's just giving her all this money. And she's super cruel to him and, and, you know, laughing behind his back and all of this. And the movie is about uh, these quote unquote freaks as, as the movie refers to them, these sideshow characters who uh, band together to essentially get revenge on on this this woman for the way that, the horrible way that she's treated these these characters and that sounds like a a very um I don't know like a lurid premise or like something that that could be like exploitative but I didn't find it to be I, I found it like I said to be like a very uh, humane compassionate uh, portrayal of just like regular people who happen to be doing jobs and you know it it is not um is not as uh, as sensationalized as I thought it might be. So what do you? what's your take on Freaks, Chris? What do you remember about this movie? You know, I haven't seen it in so long, but I, I, I'm right there with you in that it's it's a lot more uh, thoughtful than I think people realize it, it is, especially for the era it was made. I mean, it's, it's still, you know, I don't know if it's aged as well as it could have, but um, but it's still, it's, it's a lot more than, what I think people expect just from like a synopsis. So I'm, I'm right there with you on that. Yeah. I was reading about it a little bit on, on Wikipedia and um, I didn't have time to do like a full deep dive because I just, I just watched it this morning before work. And um, evidently it's like some employees at MGM were so, um, I don't know, uncomfortable with the presence of these actors that they basically like put them in a a tent that was uh, um, specially built for them and like kept them, uh, segregated on on the MGM lot and like 
did did these people not read the script? Like they kind of missed the yeah. point of the movie that they're making. It was it's really um, kind of disturbing to read about you know how how these actors were treated on the set of this movie, where like the the movie itself and 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 Browning certainly like um, has so much. Uh, uh, compassion for these characters and, and is very much like on their side and like empathetic and, and all of that. And um, yeah, it's just, it was, it was kind of shocking to, to read about like that real life disconnect um, that, that happened on the scene there behind the scenes there. And it, it reminded me a little bit, the ending of this movie, uh, which I won't spoil here, but it reminded me a little bit of, um, of nightmare alley, both versions a little bit, yeah. um, which uh, is just like one of the great uh, sort of gut punch type of endings um, in, in recent memory anyway. So um, yeah, I would definitely recommend seeing this movie. I, I just think it's not nearly as, um, I don't know, salacious as, as the rumors or, or sort of like reputation that precedes it. I, I think it's much more, um, much more grounded and sort of, um, it, 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 it does feel modern in the way that it, it treats these characters as just, you know, typical human beings, like just regular people. And, and like you said, that that's a very, um, impressive thing, I guess, for the fact that this was made in the 1930s when I'm, I'm sure, um, you know, the real world scenarios were um, were much more diff- uh, difficult for uh, these actors than than they would be right now. There's, I, th- I think it's fair to say that uh, our our culture has moved a little bit more toward acceptance now um, yeah. than it was in the 30s. So uh, we certainly have a long way to go, and all that. I'm not saying that, that everything is perfect, but um, yeah, yeah, freaks. Wow, like what what a movie! I was really bowled over by it. So um, I hope people get a chance to check this out. I, I watched this on. Uh, on Turner Classic Movies. So I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere right now, but it's called Freaks. Check it out. 1932. Good stuff. Um, Chris, do you have anything that you're excited about? Any any movies on the horizon that you uh that you've you know sort of circled on the calendar that you're you're excited to check out? Uh you know, Evil Dead Rise opens this week. I'm I'm actually seeing that tonight, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh because you know people have been talking about it for months now because it, it premiered at um South by Southwest. So I'm excited that I finally get to see that tonight. Uh, other than that, mm, you know, just taking it as it goes. There's there's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Hopefully that'll be good. Hopefully that'll fix the uh, the slump Marvel seems to be in right now. But, yes. Uh, I guess we'll see. Okay, cool. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, you can find more about a lot of the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com. I will link to a few things in the show notes, including Chris's review of The Pope's Exorcist, which I encourage you all to read. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.